Shameless Media. This episode of The Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Bailey's Irish Cream, inspiring indulgence through me time moments. A good writer can create an entire universe with nothing more than words. But what happens when real life is even more outrageous than a story in a book? Welcome to Stranger Than Fiction, where we investigate the intriguing world of writers and the bizarre reality behind some of the world's most famous stories. I'm your host, Eilish Gilligan, and today I am joined by Shameless Media's multimedia producer, Sahani Gunatilika. Hi, Sahani. Hello. How are you going? Good. I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's not a test. <laughs> so Stranger Than Fiction is a monthly series where we recap the most bizarre stories to rock the lit world. Today, we're talking about the fan fiction turned best-selling young adult author Cassandra Clare and the plagiarism allegations that have plagued her since 2001. Do you know who Cassandra Clare is? I do. And it feels like a test. <laughs> Um, I know she's the author of The Mortal Instrument. Mm-hmm. And I know she also writes fan fiction. I want to say for Harry Potter. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I Because I was a massive Harry Potter fan growing mm. up. So I used to read a lot of fan fiction. Wow. For Draco and Hermione. Wow. Okay. Well, that is actually, you're the perfect person for this story. <laughs> then. So some of our audience may not actually know what fan fiction is. Mm-hmm. So basically what it is, is fan written stories and content that utilizes pre-existing characters and universes from other authors. And they're usually like big name authors like J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter or Tolkien with Lord of the Rings. But there's essentially fan fiction about like everything yeah. you could ever think of. <laughs> It's like wild to me that some people wouldn't know what that is. That's how I got into reading, I think. Like fan fiction was a big part of that. I think a lot of Gen Z, that was the experience. I know for a lot Mm. of younger millennials it was because I came across fanfic very young, Mm. like super young. And it was one of the first experiences of reading that was just like, wow, this feels really electric or Mm. something. Like it feels like untethered by normal literary rules, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into this story, we have to acknowledge just how big the Harry Potter fandom was at this time. This is a story that plays out entirely online, and a lot of it actually takes place in the depths of the Harry Potter fan forums and message boards in the early 2000s. Fans who populated these forums were kind of fanatical about Harry Potter. Listen, I know I had a phase like this as a kid, so I'm not casting judgment, but I want you to keep in mind that this kind of online environment was pretty highly charged. These forums were volatile. Think like an early 2000s version of Twitter. One minute you could be the most popular fan on the Harry Potter forums, but if you said the wrong thing or had an unpopular opinion about the books or the characters, you would be totally piled on. So let's paint the picture. It's 2000. Only the first three Harry Potter books 
have been published. And the series was growing in popularity extremely quickly. No one knew how the series was going to pan out over the next few books, which left a lot of room for speculation for fans, which meant fans were writing a lot of fan fiction themselves. Mm. And isn't it crazy to think back on the periods between like releases in the Harry Potter series we didn't know yeah. what was going to happen? Well, I was really young, but my sister was, she's 10 years older than me. Mm. So I remember she used to wait in line at bookshops to get mm. it. And like, we, I think I was at the age where I could see the movies and like it would mm. come out one after the other. I think the closest I've had to that experience is Game of Thrones. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's just so exciting. I loved being part of that community. It is. It's so exciting. And obviously at this time, the internet was very new, but many people, especially enthusiastic Harry Potter fans, had figured out that it was actually a really, really great place to connect with people all around the world who shared the same interests as you. So Cassandra Clare quickly connected with many Harry Potter fans on various websites and first published her fanfiction to the popular website fanfiction.net name checks out. (laughs) (laughs) So Cassandra Clare's most popular Harry Potter fan fiction series was called the Draco Trilogy. Does that ring any bells? Oh, God. (laughs) I I really hope it's not the same. I so want you to have read these. I probably have. It's okay. I have too. (laughs) so embarrassing. I used to have like a Twitter account. Oh, my God. That like was fully like it had Draco as the background. It was actually, this is so embarrassing. So I probably have read this. I never paid attention to who wrote these. I may have have read it. Oh, I love that. So the Draco trilogy consisted of three works titled Draco Dormians, Draco Sinister and Draco Veritas, which Cassandra posted online between the years 2000 and 2006. So the Draco trilogy all up spanned nearly one million words. So each of these titles were like longer than a novel length and the entire thing altogether is longer than the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) What the That's wild. (laughs) So it took at least six years for Cassandra to write and post the Draco trilogy in full, which kind of checks out because, like, that's a long... That's long. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of words. (laughs) So the exact timing of the publication of this trilogy is actually really significant. The Draco trilogy is set within the Harry Potter universe where the last published books left off. So remember, we were like three books in. In Cassandra's world, the characters have all been aged up by two years. So they're around like 15 or 16 years old at the beginning of the Draco trilogy. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing about the Harry Potter, the official Harry Potter release schedule. For the first three books, there was one book per year. And after the third one, there was a three-year break between the third and the fourth books. Mm -hmm. So while fans waited for that fourth Harry Potter book to drop, many of them turned to fan fiction to quench that thirst. So you could argue that the now best-selling author, Cassandra Clare, who's like, you know, mortal instruments author, signed to a publishing house, became so popular because her Draco trilogy landed at the exact right place at the exact right Mm. time. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So what was the Draco trilogy about? Basically, it begins with Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy swapping bodies in a polyjuice potion incident. (laughs) But for some reason, they can't return back to their normal bodies. They're stuck. Harry is Malfoy and Malfoy is Harry. 
In Draco Dormians, there's a love triangle between Malfoy, Harry and Hermione as they race to find the antidote to this botched polyjuice potion, which mm. I was reading this for research and it's actually really confusing to read because it's like Harry's Malfoy and Malfoy's yeah. Harry is just like Freaky Friday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in Draco Sinister, Hermione is kidnapped and Harry and Malfoy, now back in their own bodies, must work <laughs> together to save her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And in Draco Veritas, which is the longest installment in the series, coming in at a whopping 540,000 words. Oh, my God. Was the grand finale of the Draco trilogy. By the end of the series, Malfoy and Ginny Weasley are a couple and Harry Potter and Hermione Granger are a couple. Oh, no, definitely haven't read that one. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of people, like, wanted Harry to end up with Hermione. Like, I kind of forgot no. about that. <laughs> I feel no. very strongly about this. <laughs> no. <laughs> I actually do as well. It's like, why can't men and women be friends? Yes, exactly. Yep. To say that the Draco trilogy was popular amongst the Harry Potter fandom would actually be kind of an understatement. Mm. This trilogy was one of the most beloved, widely shared and highly anticipated works of fan fiction like ever. Mm. In the fan fiction history books, this would have its own tome, mm. I guess. <laughs> I love that for her. Yeah. So why was it so popular? Aside from the Harry Potter fan fiction boom that happened in those three years between the books, fans really, really liked Cassandra's incredibly detailed character studies of the Harry Potter gang. And I think that's the thing, like she can write. Mm. So, you know, we know this, she's been a published author for a long time now, but even before that, she could write really well and people really responded to that. So, we've established from the year 2000, Cassandra Clare was a big deal in the Harry Potter fandom with arguably quite a lot of power and influence over how the biggest fans of the series thought about its characters, particularly of Draco Malfoy. There's actually a term for the kind of figure that Cassandra Clare was in the fandom at this time, and that term is big name fan or BNF. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like I kept getting it mixed up with like BFG, the yeah, big yeah. friendly giant, but it's not that. I feel like anyone who has spent time in a fandom, whether it's like the Taylor Swift fandom mm. or, you know, Harry Potter or whatever, you'll have come across a big name fan. They're mm. basically like a celebrity within a fandom. They're usually people who have like contributed something quite significant to the fandom, like a fan fiction or some mm. fan art, or they've like started a fan club or something. And it's become really popular with those fans and then it kind of becomes this like fandom within a fandom. Yeah, that makes sense. So Cassandra was like the big name fan of the Harry Potter world. Mm. She had her own legion of fans who would message her, usually publicly via forums and fan sites, to check on the status of her next fan fiction or to ask when the next chapter of the Draco trilogy would be posted. To paraphrase a Reddit explainer on this drama, quote, Everyone wanted to be friends with Cassandra Clare or be her. Cassandra and the other big name fans who frequented the fan forums were pretty much mini celebrities in this world, which made the next part of our story quite the scandal at the time. In May 2001, a discussion was sparked amongst Harry Potter fans on one of these mailing lists, sparked by the discovery that a young fan had plagiarised some of Cassandra's story, Draco Sinister, and posted it as their own work. One of Cassandra's fans posted the following in this discussion. Quote, Cassandra's stories are amazingly popular, so people steal things from them. Apparently they presume that not everyone reads Draco Sinister or something to that effect. Who knows? 
but there are limits on just how much one can take without giving credit to the original author, and I think that this person has really stepped over these. Cassandra herself commented on this thread at the time, saying, thanks for the tip off, everybody. I'll deal with it. I'm really not that miffed. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and all that. I'll write to the author. Thanks for looking out for me. Mm, This is really interesting. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, while this, you know, no-name small-time fanfiction mm. author had allegedly taken Cassandra Clare's work and passed it off as their own, Cassandra Clare was kind of allegedly doing exactly that as yeah. well. <laughs> so around this time, comments started appearing on various fan forums about the Draco trilogy and Cassandra Clare's unfortunate tendency to use unattributed quotes from other books and television shows in her work. So an anonymous Harry Potter fan who was on the internet under the username Avocado wrote a massive document on this saga. So we're going to be referring to their work quite a lot over the next little while. Mm -hmm. So Avocado identified themselves as a lurker in the fandom. In fact, at the beginning of their exposure essay about Cassandra Clare's plagiarism, they said, if you have been in the Harry Potter fandom for several years, I probably know who you are. Odds are you do not know me. I am happy that way. <laughs> That's very lurkervised. <laughs> you do not know me. <laughs> I'm literally obsessed with like the private investigator vibes of this like Harry Potter fan. <laughs> Cold avocado. Yeah. <laughs> so as they told it, avocado stumbled. <laughs> <laughs> Avocado stumbled across Cassandra Clare's Draco Sinister, the second instalment in the Draco trilogy, and began reading. When they reached Chapter 4, they noticed a disclaimer at the top of the page that read, Disclaimer. I've mentioned all this before, but I suppose it bears repeating. None of these characters are mine. They all belong to J.K. Rowling, obviously, and Draco's and others' lines come from many sources. Some are made up. Some inspired by many sources, including but not limited to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Forever Night, Due South, The X-Files, Woody Allen, The Handbook for Evil Overlords, Obscure British Sitcoms, Monty Python, Shakespeare, and I could go on and on, but rest assured that no maliciousness is intended and I am making not one cent, even more obviously, Mm. off writing this, nor would I even want to. If you want to play Spot the Quote, feel free. More fun for everyone. So... Cassandra Clare's made this huge disclaimer at Mm. the top of one of her books in the Draco trilogy saying, I am using quotes from all of these different places. Yeah. Try and spot them kind Mm. of thing. And initially, Avocado explained in this essay that they were actually happy to see this disclaimer. No harm done. Mm. It's fan fiction after all. Why shouldn't Cassandra Clare be allowed to mix and match the fandoms within her stories, especially if she isn't making any money from it and especially if she's, like, calling it out, Mm. you know? Yeah. (sighs) However... That's not quite how this went. As per Avocado's, quote, investigation. As I kept reading, however, I found quotations being used with even greater frequency and even greater length. Multi-line exchanges were being used, and based on that, I thought they deserved citations. In particular, Avocado noticed that many of the passages in Draco Sinister were devastatingly similar to lines from a fantasy book series titled The Secret Country Trilogy by Pamela Dean from the late 80s. 
These books were out of print by the time the Draco trilogy was being posted, but Avocado just so happened to be a massive fan of these books Mm. and could recognise the passages, like, straight away from the Draco trilogy. We're going to get to some nitty-gritty examples of this right after the break. We all know how important it is to take some time for ourselves in between the chaos of our everyday routine and reading is one of the best ways to do this. The joy that comes from getting lost in a character story is unmatched and I think there is no better drink to accompany these moments than Bailey's Irish Cream Liqueur. Bailey's is the ultimate indulgent treat, so of course they are the perfect sponsor for today's episode. They have a range of delicious cocktails, so when I stumbled upon the chocolatini, I knew I was in for a treat. The melted chocolate, rich Baileys and chocolate liqueur make this a great adult treat for those sweet tooths. This is a great one to have on a cosy night in with a book or even served to a group of friends after a dinner party. If you are over 18 and interested in an indulgent treat, head online or in-store to shop Baileys. Remember to drink responsibly. Thank you so much to Baileys for making this episode of The Shameless Book Club possible. Okay, we're going to put our investigative journalist hats on right now. Okay, it's on. And we're going <laughs> It's on. <laughs> and we're going to compare paragraph by paragraph Pamela Dean's Hidden Land and Draco Sinister. Mm. So here is a snippet from Pamela Dean's The Hidden Land chapter 14. Ted opened his eyes, or thought he did. He could not see anything with them, not blackness, not anything. He did not seem to have eyes or anything else. Randolph, he tried to say, but he had nothing to say it with. It was like dreaming and knowing you were dreaming and trying to wake up by remembering the bed and the pillow. He stared into greyness and blackness and mist and a hundred shadows suggestive of nothing familiar. And now, an excerpt from Draco Sinister, Chapter 9. Draco opened his eyes, or thought he did. (laughs) Do I need my hat? (laughs) You don't need to be an investigator. (laughs) I thought it was going to be so much more subtle. (laughs) You kind of want it. You really want it to be, but it's so not. He could not see anything with them. Not blackness, not anything. Harry, he tried to say, (laughs) but he had nothing to say it with. No throat, no voice. It was like dreaming and knowing he was dreaming, but not being able to wake up. He stared ahead into green-grey mist and blackness and a thousand shadows suggestive of nothing familiar. So it's the same. Like, like, investigation closed or whatever. (laughs) It's closed. (laughs) So Avocado's investigation included many examples like this, where it wasn't just like iconic quotes being used Mm. in Cassandra's work. It was like full passages of writing. Mm, And it's not subjective. That's so plain. There's a difference between the disclaimer that Cassandra Clare was offering, Mm -hmm. which is awesome, and just straight up taking like passages out of another book and not not crediting in any way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Pamela Dean's work either, which was not included in any of the disclaimers that Cassandra included in the Draco trilogy, by the way. Cassandra was lifting lines, sometimes five lines or more at one time, directly from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Red Dwarf, Black Adder, and more. She's got good taste. (laughs) She honestly does. (laughs) That's actually so true. As per Avocado's investigation, 
Quote, the incorporation of quotes in fan fiction had always bothered me, but with a single line here or there, it's always possible that the writer simply does not realise the quotation is not their own writing. On the other hand, a two-word phrase or a character name could pass as a reference. Cassandra Clare presented me with an entirely different problem. In essence, do people know she does this? Does everyone do this? If so, then I can't have anything to do with fan fiction. Remember, Cassandra Clare was like the fan fiction lady. Mm. Like she was the big one, you know. Mm -hmm. After looking through fanfiction.net's list of rules, Avocado decided that this actually did constitute plagiarism and alerted the moderators of fanfiction.net because you're not allowed to just like Mm. rip off other authors. It's like there are rules. As a result, in June 2001, what had been posted of the Draco trilogy so far had been removed from fanfiction.net and Cassandra Clare was officially blacklisted from the biggest fanfiction archive on the internet at the time due to plagiarism. Oh, my God. The gossip. (laughs) It's like, would have been crazy. The forums were in chaos. The Draco trilogy was one of the most popular fanfictions of all time. And not even halfway through the three-year gap between official books, fans were desperate for anything that gave them their Harry Potter fix. Mm -hmm. Many users actually disagreed with Avocado and thought that Cassandra had adequately credited her use of quotes with disclaimers and thought that the blacklisting was incredibly unfair. Cassandra herself appeared on a different Harry Potter forum to defend herself. Forums were all a rage at this point in time. She wrote, All I can say is that beyond never hiding the fact that quotes in the stories are taken from Buffy, Monty Python, Red Dwarf, and so on, I've clearly stated it in my disclaimers for the stories. There have been multiple and in-depth discussions about the quotes with people having fun identifying them, and I even have an unofficial quote-nabbing game with some of my fellow authors. I won't name names for fear of having them suddenly blacklisted, but they are some of the most popular and respected Harry Potter authors out there. I want this quote from Buffy slash Red Dwarf slash Babylon 5. You can't have it, and so on. I have referenced countless authors in TV shows. There's no way I could count them all, but I do believe they've all been mentioned in my disclaimers. What do you make of this? Oh, this is tough because mm. <laughs> as a fan fiction reader, <laughs> I would be also devastated if yeah. I couldn't read, like, especially when you're in that like gap. Mm. But there are rules and you're supposed to follow them. And I feel like she's not taking any responsibility. She just keeps being like, my disclaimer was enough. My disclaimer was enough. Mm. So that's quite frustrating. I feel like if she did like a proper apology and like gave people credit where credit was due, then everyone would be happy. Mm. Like surely then her things won't be blacklisted anymore. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't help but feel for the fans. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the fans were the ones that really kind of copped it. Yeah. Um, But I think... There's such a big difference between like playing a spot the quote game, which mm. I'm like, yeah, I can see that being really fun for a fan fiction community and allegedly taking paragraphs of prose from another book and not including proper credit. Basically, Cassandra Clare kind of copped it for this. She did continue to publish the Draco trilogy on a different website because there was still just that much demand for it. She continued to post chapters from the trilogy all the way until its end in 2006. At the end of the final chapter of the Draco trilogy, Cassandra added a note. Very important notice. After this last chapter has been up for a while, all my fanfiction on Fiction Alley and elsewhere will be deleted. 
If you would like to be able to read the Draco trilogy again in the future, I recommend that you download it from this webpage so that you'll have it after it's removed from the net. So that was like back when you could take things mm. off the internet and they were gone. Yeah. <laughs> That's so dramatic. Yeah. Well... In mid-August, all traces of the Draco trilogy were erased from the internet, although, of course, it did pop up again as PDFs as people who had downloaded it decided to like upload, upload it again. It. But why was it deleted? Had the plagiarism allegations finally gotten to Cassandra? Not really. Cassandra had landed a book deal, like an actual one. Yeah. I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. And it had nothing to do with fan fiction. She I was like, she's going to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was just wiping the slate clean. Wow. Okay. And like, it's actually crazy that you say like, oh, she's going to get sued because she wasn't making any money yeah. off the fan fiction that she was posting. So it's like, can you even sue someone if they're not making money? Yeah. It's <laughs> is, is there not like value in like that fame at all? I actually think that there's a value to be argued with having that many fans fans and that many people following mm. your work. Yeah, because, you know, Alone With You in the Ether, mm. uh, we did that for Book Club a couple of months ago, a while ago now, and she originally started off as a fan fiction writer. Oh, cool. And that became really popular because she already had, like, an existing fan base mm. from fan fiction. So she went, like, she climbed up the New York Times bestselling charts really far. Wow. Yeah. Oh so I do actually think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Mm. So as the story goes, sometime between 2000 and 2006, Cassandra befriended another author named Holly Black, who had already achieved success with her series, The Spiderwick Chronicles, who read her writing and decided to refer Cassandra to her literary agent. To this day, Holly and Cassandra share the same literary agent, so obviously this meeting went very well. Wow. Cassandra's series proposal for The Moral Instruments was picked up by publisher Simon & Schuster, and the first book in the series, City of Bones was published in early 2007. Along with this came Cassandra Clare's new pen name, Cassandra Clare. <laughs> now without an I. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> many fans figured that this was because Cassandra didn't want to give up her author identity altogether, but she didn't necessarily want new fans to Google her name and immediately find plagiarism allegations oh. and niche fandom drama. <laughs> That's quite like smart. It is smart. By April 2007, City of Bones had hit number eight on the New York Times bestsellers list. So yet again, Cassandra Clare had found herself a dedicated and borderline obsessive fan base, but now she'd hit the mainstream. But our story is not over yet. We now have to fast forward to 2016, when another scandal hit Cassandra Clare's otherwise flourishing literary career. By this time, Cassandra had written and released six books in the Mortal Instruments series. A full-on movie adaptation of City of Bones had also been released in 2013 starring Lily Collins and Jamie Campbell Bower. It flopped, but, you know, still, <laughs> still a movie. Yeah. <laughs> There was also a television series based on the model instruments called Shadow Hunters, which premiered on Netflix in January 2016. Mm. But there was one fellow best-selling fantasy author who was not impressed by Cassandra's prolific career. Now, before we get into this, I just want to flag that we'll be reading pretty much directly from a lawsuit, so the language is a little wordy. Basically, all you need to know is that an author named Sherilyn Kenyon wrote a fantasy series that centred around some characters called Dark Hunters. In the lawsuit that we're about to get into, Sherilyn alleged that Cassandra Clare's Shadow Hunter characters were essentially a copy of her own Dark Hunters. 
The lawsuit went through the alleged similarities between the Dark Hunters and the Shadow Hunters and got really into the nitty gritty. But this is the crux of it. So now let's get into those details. As per The Guardian, the best-selling fantasy novelist Sherilyn Kenyon is alleging that Claire's Mortal Instruments and Shadowhunters series, quote, knowingly and willfully copied Kenyon's Dark Hunter series. The Dark Hunter series dates back to 1998, says Lawsuit. The first in Claire's Mortal Instruments and Shadowhunter series, City of Bones, was published in 2007. The lawsuit read in part... Both Claire and Kenyon's books are about an elite band of warriors that must protect the human world from the unseen paranormal threat that seeks to destroy humans as they go about their daily lives. They are both given a manual on how to conduct their mission and on how to conduct themselves when dealing with other entities and species in their fictional world. Mm, I can see how she'd be mad. Mm. This might feel a little bit like a coincidence, particularly because the fantasy genre and like genre fiction in general Mm -hmm. can be like tropey. Yeah. But there is more. As per the lawsuit. In 2006, Kenyon was alerted by some of her distressed fans about Claire's planned publication of a work that incorporated Kenyon's Dark Hunter marks. Apparently, and do take this with a grain of salt because there's more information to come, Sherilyn asked Cassandra to remove the references, which Cassandra apparently did, replacing the references to Dark Hunters to Shadow Hunters. However, as per The Guardian, according to Kenyon, despite assurances that use of the Shadow Hunter term would not be expanded, Claire has persisted over time in expanding her use of the term Shadow Hunters from a mere description of her protagonists, first to a tagline on the cover of her works, and eventually to a complete rebranding of her works so as to be confusingly similar to the Dark Hunter series. I mean, I'm getting confused in reading that out. Yeah. (laughs) All I got from that is Shadow Hunter sounds cooler. (laughs) (laughs) But the funny thing is, she originally was calling it Dark Hunter. So, yeah. yeah. We're not going to go through like the entire lawsuit here because it's quite dense, obviously, but it Mm -hmm. is available online if you want to read through it. Basically, the lawsuit alleged that despite assurances from Cassandra that she would change all the elements of the story that were similar to Sherilyn's original work, Sherilyn alleged that things were still like really, really similar. Mm Mm-hmm. Fans and readers were very divided on this. Some saw it as typical behaviour for Cassandra, who had, of course, been accused of plagiarism in the past. Some stood up for it, arguing that utilising tropes is just part and parcel of writing genre fiction, and it's no surprise Mm. that stories end up being similar. It took a couple of years, but Cassandra did end up speaking up for herself, this time on Tumblr. Now, this is a ridiculously long post, (laughs) so you can find it online and read it all through. It's pretty interesting, but we're going to paraphrase it. First of all, Cassandra confirmed that Sherilyn actually completely dropped the copyright lawsuit in May 2016, quite shortly after it went public. Cassandra also claimed that she had never, ever spoken to Sherilyn, not even during the lawsuit process. What? Yeah. I couldn't find an answer here, but... Like, did they speak through their lawyers? I assume so, like, because Sherilyn was going on about how, you know, I asked her to change the name of this and then we, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Cassandra's like, no, we never spoke. So Mm. not really sure what the truth is there. She wrote about being upset that whenever someone Googled her, they would believe that she was being sued for copyright infringement, which technically she actually wasn't. (sighs) This is frustrating a little bit because this is a technicality. She wasn't being sued for copyright infringement, but she was being sued for trademark infringement. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> there was a trademark infringement element of the lawsuit that was settled, like actually settled, okay. between Cassandra and Sherilyn in 2018. But Cassandra claimed that she didn't actually think that she had ever infringed on Sherilyn's trademark, which essentially encompassed Sherilyn's intellectual property within her novels. The truth is... While it may not have explicitly been for copyright infringement, Cassandra was sued by this author because of an alleged infringement, which was within the plagiarism umbrella, I would say. Mm-hmm. She wrote that she didn't want to go through the suing process and go through the court system and all of that stuff and just felt like things would be less stressful if she settled with Sherilyn outside of court, which, you know, fair enough. Mm-hmm. She then posted the entire line-by-line refusion of Sherilyn's original lawsuit, which was put together by Cassandra's legal team. And this document gets into like the nitty-gritty of the different narrative points and character traits within the mortal instruments as opposed to Sherilyn's work. So she like goes in. Mm. She closed her argument by writing, I cannot tell you how much it sucks to be accused of something awful that you did not do in public, however used to it you may be. I cannot express how humiliating and horrible it is or how depressing it is to realise that basically nobody cares if it isn't true. I, in a way, agree with that statement. I do think that there is a tendency to kind of not really care if something's true or not as long as it's like juicy, Mm. especially amongst online communities. But at the same time... I do wonder if there was more to this than we got to see because we only really saw Cassandra's side of the story yeah. after the lawsuit was settled and after it kind of just went away. Cassandra was like, well, here's what happened, you know? Mm. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, maybe it would have been good to hear a little bit more from Cheryl on this, you know? Yeah. But that is what it is, I suppose. Do you think that Cassandra was maybe an easier target for this kind of accusation? Yeah, that's a really good point. I Mm. think she would have been. Mm. But yeah, it's hard to have an opinion on this when you don't know Sherilyn's side properly. Because you made a really good point about how there is so many tropes in fantasy Mm. and dystopian novels as well. Yeah. Like, for example, there's so many parallels between like, I don't know if if you ever read the Hush Hush series, but Mm, it's kind of similar to Twilight vibes. All the vampire ones have so many things in common and even like fourth wing with dragons it has similarities with Aragon. Mm. like i can see how if something's called a dark hunter and a shadow hunter like yeah. there'll be similar vibes so i think that's really tricky territory yeah. and it, it does make me intrigued about like what the stipulations on what plagiarism what copyright and what trademark is yeah i don't know maybe i'm falling victim to my own argument where an I say, like, maybe I believe this of her more because of her history. Maybe she really didn't do anything in this case, fan fiction aside. Maybe this really was just a total coincidence. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know what to make of the fact that Sherilyn says they spoke and Cassandra says they didn't. Mm. But, you know, the truth is out there. I I don't know it, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately. Although we have only just scratched the surface of Cassandra Clare, we are fast approaching the end of this episode. Which brings us to what is she doing right now? (laughs) She's actually incredibly prolific, Cassandra Clare. She's written so many books and like at a pace that's like very impressive and Mm -hmm. harkens back to like her fan fiction days. She's always been like this. She's just got books upon books upon books coming out. Mm -hmm. According to her publisher, Cassandra Clare has sold over 50 million copies of her books worldwide. And recently she's released her first book in a new adult fantasy series called Swordcatcher. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. According to her bio on her website, she says, after 2023, we have the future to look forward to. With the next Shadowhunters trilogy, the Wicked Powers coming, along with the second Swordcatcher novel, and perhaps some unexpected surprises. All I can say is let's just hope that those unexpected surprises don't contain any alleged plagiarism. (laughs) But that's like one, two, three, three books that she says after 2023 and then unexpected surprises on top of that. So like her pace is very impressive. I mean, I'm not surprised if she wrote that much fan fiction mm. for Dramani or Jerry or whatever it is. <laughs> like, I am not surprised she can write that one. <laughs> That's so true. Like, it's really like baptism of fire kind mm. of thing to commit to writing a one million word fan fiction trilogy for which you'll never get paid. Right. And like you're purely just doing it for the passion. Yeah. Like that is kind of like the world's best training program. It is. I feel. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's Cassandra Clare. Wow. I've learned so much <laughs> <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, quite a lot. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can follow us at The Shameless Book Club on Instagram and TikTok. And make sure you press follow on your podcast app as well so you never miss an episode of Stranger Than Fiction and all the other good stuff we have from The Shameless Book Club. Thank you for joining me, Sahani. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.